you're not driven by the money the money comes secondary it comes secondary absolutely yeah. you're absolutely right i mean it was more around maybe keep going back to that fascination with buildings no. so it was an already um, an inbuilt passion around i really want to understand how this all comes together i think at, at that time it was really about finding my voice and i talk about that quite a lot that sometimes you lose it losing your voice is unfortunate but it's not the end mm. What do, you, when you, what do you mean by losing your voice? Meet Precious. This is a lady of colour coming into the UK to go into a male-dominated industry, construction. And on her journey, she met some fantastic business leaders. She also met a number of challenges. And with all that knowledge, she shares it with you today. My name's Richard, and this is Drive, the business podcast from UKBF. Precious, it's lovely to meet you. Lovely to meet you as well, Richard. The, I, I, the, in preparation for today, mm. uh, we both know Shalom Lloyd, who's a, my very first guest on this podcast. Amazing. And it was great to be introduced to you uh, through her. And uh, a lot of the work you're doing, um, particularly around empowering and supporting um, Africa business, people in Africa, in business, through work and projects you're doing and business within the UK. Mm. Um, the It's like you've come together a bit of a team in doing that. Yes, there's a lot of um, crossovers or I suppose priorities that we have yeah. in terms of engaging with the African continent and the work that she's doing out there and the work that I'm, I'm trying to do with my own business, you know, really engaging with the continent. So yes, a lot of commonalities there. Definitely. And one of the things I wanted to chat to you about is the really sort of the journey for because you're uh, originally born within Zimbabwe, is there, aren't you? Yes, yes, yes. And the bit that uh, we'd, we'll go into detail as we're chatting, mm. but what really stood out is that's a challenge in itself coming into a, a new country. Absolutely. And building a career through that, with, which is, we've had other guests who, you know, have those challenges and do that. But with yourself as well, going into a very male, well, very male, but not just male, but white-dominated male industry, mm. that the uh, when we thinking about my own age here, yes, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> having women within and it's basic construction, mm. unheard of. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh gosh, yeah, it's about what. 23 years ago in fact slightly longer because i had yeah. to go to university first so yeah. started in zimbabwe i'm, yeah. I'm zimbabwean born i'm yeah. proudly zimbabwean born but now i call myself what do i call british zimbabwean <laughs> because actually you 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 put you cut half and half yeah 50 of my life has was in zimbabwe or yeah. in the africa region zimbabwe and south africa and then the second half which is my professional career and work has been here so the united kingdom is my home it's actually my home, but actually my heritage is very, very Zimbabwean. But now I've got a mixed heritage now, British Zimbabwean. So it starts from there. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Richard, you know, the challenge is just relocating, but yeah. there were massive challenges moving from a completely different continent, let alone a country, and then um, relocating to the United Kingdom and starting a career in construction. Very, yeah. very male dominated. And, and actually at the time, very white too. I was probably yeah. the only person of color on, on site. Yeah. And but that's part of the challenge, right? But it, it is, but the, and it's 
a testament to following your passion because mm-hmm. you you wanted to work in that industry you loved uh, and presumably still do but loved architecture and mm. sort of building in itself so where did uh, that passion come from so okay i'll take you back take everybody <laughs> back to this girl who's probably about 10 11 12 would go on holidays my, my yeah. parents were advocates of holidays it's a great holiday you need to know the country that you're 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 growing up in but i always had we used to have this you know cameras yeah. Not, like, not not these fancy ones. Not on the mobile phone. Oh, no, 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 no. Not a mobile phone. I'm telling my age here, it was not a mobile phone <laughs> camera. But my dad loved videography a lot. He'd have those big, big, big videos, JVC videos, video cameras. The rest, the, rest on your shoulder. Rest on your shoulder, yeah. right? And I always liked buildings. Every time we went on holiday, I'd be snapping or I'd always replay back. And I'd always have this attachment to the way things look the way the landscape looked so not just the buildings but actually how the buildings sat within that particular environment so at a very uh, at a very young age I had a love for architecture and yeah it's just it just started in that manner that I think I started picking up that buildings really fascinated me what happens next then so you're a young person mm. um, sort of just approaching your teens at that sort of age yes um, the you know where you want to go and what career you want to go on. To an extent. To an extent. To an extent, because I was torn between law and, oh, and construction. I know. Way different parts. I know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. But to your point, yes, approaching early teens, I remember having a conversation with my, with my dad at the time. And um, to be fair, he's probably the catalyst to me actually making a decision, firm decision to join the industry. And I remember having a conversation with I kept, you know, I really loved buildings. Okay, he says, what about buildings do you love? Mm-hmm. Um, and then I considered a career in architecture and I thought seven years, that's pretty much like going through a, a, a medical doctor degree. Mm, too long for me, right? <laughs> um, and I had an opportunity. I, mean, I suppose most people wouldn't get it, but my, my father managed to um, arrange almost like an internship position. At the time it was with Knight Frank, um, real, uh, like real estate, property agents. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and I soon realized that actually walking around buildings valuing wasn't it wasn't really feeding the passion because mm. I, I was looking at an end product I wanted to understand how it all came together and this was within Zim this is in Zimbabwe this yeah. is in a town called Bulawayo where I grew up yeah. and then um, in my penultimate year well I think they call it like first year of sixth form here so we'd call yeah. it lower six at the time a long time ago um, Got an opportunity to work for Turner and Townsend. They still exist. They're big, big top five construction consultancy. <clears throat> and I worked with them. And at the time, that's when my dad said to me, have you heard? There's a profession called quantity surveying. I thought quantity surveying, okay. Sounds interesting. So I had like a six weeks, six weeks stint with Turner and Townsend. And that was my first exposure to them even considering um, being a quantity surveyor. I'd not heard of it. I had some exposure for six weeks and it sealed the deal for me. I, I then applied to to study a Bachelor of Science in Quantity Surveying at the University of Cape Town. Okay. Mm. And, the, and so you was encouraged and supported. Your dad was sort of encouraging you to go in and presumably he would have known at the time this was a very male-dominated uh, sector to work in. Yes, okay. yes. So the, the bit, uh, and I picked this up from... Uh, what listen to a previous podcast mm. you've been on that I love and you're not the only guest I've uh, 
I've had on here as a black woman mm. who's been encouraged by her father to push her career yes. um, when in Africa there is some mm -hmm. um, I don't even know what words to use but some women Bikes. are not encouraged into yes. um, you know high careers mm -hmm. the but I get a vibe that fathers are pushing for change in that and encouraging the women 100%. I mean, I'll, I'll pay homage definitely to my father. Yeah. Um, I don't think I would have actually even known that there was a Korean quantity surveying at all, let alone known mm. what it meant. Um, and I think early advocacy started to show up then. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, we talk about allyship. You yeah. know, we talk about allyship right now, even in the industry. My yeah. allyship, my ally really was my, my dad. He was, a, yeah. he was a male. And I'd have to say this, actually, to, to anybody out there, that... In my family, there was nobody with construction history. So, you know, there's this whole barrier that, oh, you know, people that don't necessarily have people that are in family, in construction, they might be a barrier to actually entering the industry. So I had an ally, was my dad, who was almost like a visionary. You could see that there was a, an opportunity to, to, to make something out of yourself in, in that particular career. And I think it sort of fed back to me and, and, and passed on that actually why not do it because it's not yeah. one it's not too popular so maybe i can make some money out of this <laughs> <laughs> right it's all yeah. about the money right yeah. and also equally this is quite exciting what was your first day at work what was your and um, your first few months at work like i'll say this i had a soft landing as they say yeah very very soft landing the company that i work for i don't think it's still existing at the moment mj gleason really great company mm -hmm. um so I had a soft landing. I had a car within two days, which <laughs> most graduates don't have. But for me, it was more the social element. Um, I, I was in Oxford, so I'd moved to Oxford. Uh, most of my family were in London, the London area. So there was a lot of isolation. I'd say the first six, six months were really, really tough. Um, but I'm, I'll say I'm not one to then shy away from that sort of thing. So I quickly realized that there were a number of graduates within our network at, at work, started making those connections. <laughs> and then within about three or four months, I was, yeah, I was very, very much assimilated into the whole social element. Because, you know, you, you, early years, you're 22 years old. Yeah. Being social is, is really important. So I made those connections with people that, were, um, that I could relate to. But it was tough. Yeah. It was tough. Um, the and this is one of the things I've picked up from listening to you talk uh, up, uh, on other sort of YouTube videos and podcasts is where uh, one of the key things and recommendations you give to young people uh, or anybody in business really is to build up a network mm. uh, that and sort of whether it's a sort of a network of peers um, that you can connect with and support each other mm. and. I'm almost like you've pretty much answered the question, but really is how important is that? And how would you go, you know, to somebody else? How would they go about that? So I, I would say um, understanding that isolation is just not going to let you progress. So I, yeah. I identified very quickly and I use that example of coming into a completely different environment. So anybody listening is if you enter any different environment, it could be country, it could be organization, it could be community, it could be you've moved home. Assimilation is really, really important for starters. Understand the environment that you're in um, and then start to pick up people that have got similarities. You will naturally um, gravitate to people that either share similar likes, etc. Now, it's slightly different in business. So one of the things that I've learned over the years is really 
not picking out, but being quite intentional in the way that you network. Before it was almost like spread the net and hope that you catch one <laughs> or two. Um, but over the years, it's been quite intentional. Go with the purpose. You know, if you go to networking events or whatever it is, understand the type of people that are going to be there. How do they align with what you want to get out of it? It's not a case of I am going to target these people. No, but go in there knowing the audience that is there so you can maybe build up conversations on similarities or likes or whatever it is. Um, and, and that's what I would say. Just stay, stay true to yourself but understand the landscape within which you're operating in. Do you think it makes a difference whether it's a male or female uh, advocate for a young female coming into a male dominated industry? I don't think it does. No. I don't think it does. I mean, now I, I, I do advocacy work. I think there's a relatability when it's a woman to woman in that. It's mm. almost like a an unsung sisterhood that's happening on under the mm. surface. But really an advocate is an advocate. Do they have your interests at heart? Are they seeing beyond who you are right now are they seeing potential and are they like you said breaking those barriers yeah. um, visible and invisible barriers that are happening so i i don't think there's a really a, a persona or um best gender for advocacy i think it, it's just the intention yeah mm. and that's um i love that you finished on intention there because mm. that i feel gets missed sometimes mm. because you don't want to be the token female no. you actually want to be you know be good at your job mm. and be able to have the opportunity to be good at your job um, irrespective that you're a woman moving into that career yes you are the best person for that job and can deliver and do that mm. not being carried or being that token yes there's yeah. nothing worse than tokenism or number counting or you know tallying whatever you want to call it. I think people should be given a chance because somebody has seen potential and is willing to champion and push them from behind. You know? Going on site wasn't your favourite bit. Not at all. <laughs> I like heels. <laughs> well, that's fair enough. Uh, so the, um, the rest um, is really interesting because uh, you've sort of made a difference in the construction and broken down barriers. Mm. Um, so many different facets i don't even know where to start on there but really the i suppose take us on that journey um mm -hmm. with the uh, as you go through and breaking down barriers and making and progressing a career that you dreamed about since you was 10. yes so i, I think I, I think you know you have to say that you know we're constantly breaking barriers even mm. our own internal barriers but um it, it wasn't easy I won't mm. lie. I mean, there was, I, I've talked about an advocate, but I had um, oppressors as mm. well. So the oppressors actually, um, at some point, almost tried to kill the dream a little yeah. bit. Do you know what I mean? But I think what's really, really important was having those people around you, whether or not there were people at work or people at home or family or friends, whatever it is. I say on in my journey, um, there was a critical time where I was really considering, do I really want to stay in this industry? Because I, I just had my children and it just wasn't the right fit at that particular mm -hmm. time with a particular individual. Um, but but that's not that didn't stop me. I think at, at that time, it was really about finding my voice. And I talk yeah. about that quite a lot, that sometimes you lose it. Losing your voice is unfortunate, but it's not the end. Mm. What do you mean by losing your voice? Right. So I'll give you an example. Um, just so you can get a taste of what that round yeah. table, either in a, in a project meeting, whatever looked like. So 
we said it at the beginning, I was most likely to be the only woman, let alone the only woman of color around the table. Mm-hmm. And you've got an architect, a civil engineer, a structural engineer, et cetera, et cetera, um, a mechanical and electrical engineer, and they're all male. They could mm-hmm. be potentially 90% all white male, or maybe they might be the, an, an Asian male or a black male. Not very common mm-hmm. at the time. And I remember the dread at some in some cases, even when I'd become chartered, even when the institution had said, tick, she's a professional, she's capable, she's competent, sitting around a table and your voice being taken away every single time because when you wanted to input a, 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 either a challenge, so context, quantity surveyor is not necessarily an architect's best friend because we're always looking at ways to have value on the project in terms of cost. So challenging a middle-aged white male at the time was almost like, well, what do you have to add? Do you know what I mean? And it wouldn't, I don't think it would have been any different even if it was a white female, because what have you really got to add? Mm-hmm. And then you put in the, the age factor at the time, I think I chanted when I was 26, 27. So I've got the letters at the end of my name. I actually know what I'm talking about and I disagree with your design. Losing my voice happened on so many occasions around that table where I started considering that, you know, I don't really think I've got the heart for this. I'm being questioned on my capability all the time. And and now my memory's kicked in and thinking back, yeah. that, that breaks down some barriers, even I imagine some of the, for yourself as well, some of the more hardened ones who maybe weren't so welcoming. Yes, it did. Because yeah. remember somebody saying, can we just hear what she's got to say? Yeah. It's almost like, let's stop for a little bit take a breath yeah. and then it's like precious please say the right thing because i <laughs> because i put my neck on the line here this is why it's like only say something when you know that it's going to be quite impactful because sometimes you only have that unfortunately sometimes you only have that one chance you know and i and i carried that through um through my career and and as i went along i mean working working on really amazing projects working with really great teams um, and actually, you know, identifying different leadership styles that just didn't resonate with me or, or made my heart dance and think, oh, my God, you're a really amazing leader. Um, right through to then, you know, setting up my own business. Mm. Yeah. And the you just mentioned through to setting up your own business. Mm. The What drove that? I'd been working in the industry for about... So 2017 when I decided, yes, I'd been working in the industry for about 15 years at the time. And I was like, I really want to study, but I want to study something that is going to have meaning later on in life. And I decided to do an MBA. And I remembered going through it and it was a very, very, um, was with Lancaster University. And it was quite an experiential course because you had to bring everything that you were learning in in, in class to real life examples of how businesses were run. And that's why, that's why I went with that university. And I remember thinking, and at the time I was working for a smaller practice intentionally because I wanted to get into the grains of that organization. I remember thinking, do you know what? Actually, am I really going to be, I'm not knocking any employers because they, they, you know, they, they, they served a purpose. Am I really going to be working within an organization, for an organization, for the foreseeable future until I'm, what, 65 or 55, whatever you want to call it? just didn't attract it just, it just didn't resonate i wasn't attracted with that idea i i i it didn't i couldn't see myself in that space 
And I remember saying, right, I've made the right decision because actually technically strong, but business side probably need a little bit more enhancement. And I did the MBA and at the end I had this massive itch. I was like, I really need to set up my own business. I really need to set up my own business because there were, there were areas of my work that I didn't necessarily like, but you have to do. And there were areas of my work that I absolutely loved, but I knew that within the remit of my role, I couldn't really experience those all the time because you're defined by your role, right? When you, yeah. when you're working. So that was um, 2019. I decided, you know what, I'm going to hang my helmet up as they say, hard hat. Um, and I resigned in December, uh, not knowing that COVID would hit three <laughs> months later. <laughs> I'm doing the, I'm doing, running a calendar in my mind <laughs> thinking, yeah. <laughs> I know, it's so much for bad timing. Um, but yeah, no, I decided pretty much on that. I did not see myself when I looked ahead, that picture wasn't there of Precious being employed. It, it just... If you're not happy what you're doing, you don't see a future where you are, um, then move on. Move on. So with you, you looked ahead and you didn't see yourself in that role till retirement. Mm. Was it the maybe even mediocrity of it or sort of like the just sort of mundaneness of just the nine to five, nine to five? Or was it, um, was there an element of the opportunity, career progression or um, sort of, being there in charge were, of your own destiny. Gosh, there were multiple factors. Mm. I remember thinking, sorry to cut you off. I remember thinking at the time, because mm, I was commercial director at the time. So I was... You're pretty high up. I, yeah, I, I, yeah, I was, my, my career was progressing quite nicely. And I was working in an organization that I, that I my, my very long lost job, I enjoyed what I was doing. Um, so it wasn't necessarily the mundaneness, because actually the role itself was quite... Um, diverse in the type of work that I was doing in terms of output. I think it was more around, okay, so we've been doing this precious for the last 17 mm. years. So we've been, yes, it's nine to five. Yes, at the time it was even hybrid working because they were quite yeah. uh, an advanced thinking business. And I just felt there was more. I felt there was more that I needed to do. Yeah. And also, if I'm being whatever, I, I wanted to do. I wanted to do the task that I enjoyed doing, rather than <laughs> <laughs> rather yeah, than doing yeah. rather than doing anything else. And I realized very early on that leadership practice. Oh my gosh, just resonated with me. Now you can be a commercial director, but if you go and you say, "Look, fifty percent of my work, I really want to focus on leadership practice in the construction industry," my boss would probably say to me, "That's great." read your podcast, listen to your podcast on your way to work and focus on leadership on that because actually you're not paid to do that role, right? Yeah. And then another part was I was really interested in understanding why people went for opportunities, like why why organizations go for opportunities. So that was in my bag, in my gift and where I was working because I was doing, working on commercial strategies and, and all that for, for infrastructure projects that were coming into the forefront. But actually I was like, I really want to have a mix of the people element and the technical element. Yeah. It's not really going to work in, in this environment. And I felt that there was a lot more that I wanted to do and it was in my gift to, to do it, but there would always be restrictions because it wasn't my organization. And yeah. so when I thought about all those things, I thought, this is, okay, you're either going to just have to suck it up and carry on doing what you're doing and carry on going to the ranks Oh, and that's a half-lived life or um, take a punt. Yeah. Mm. So you took a punt. I did. 
the, um, the timing was probably a little bit the worst. The, um, well, let's let's cover that then. So you said like timing's the worst. We all know what happened in February, March, twenty twenty. Mm. Mm. You had literally just started your business. Yes. And the um, and your business in construction. Yes. Yeah. So the that industry shut down. Completely. Initially, yeah. Completely. The uh, so how what are the emotions go- that going through because you I've started up. I've started a business. I know you. You your first day is like adrenaline rush. Yes. Oh my god, what am I going to do? You build it. You're right. Okay, I'm going to get some business in. You you call in my day calling through the yellow pages and mm-hmm. making those phone calls or more modern now doing a few TikToks to get people to look and view and buy. Whatever it might be, the um, so you've you're in that stage, pushing for the business, and yes. then everything shuts down. Yes. Um, the you have a family at the time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The what is going through your mind? I can't say the word, but <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, where's the parachute? Because I'm actually just going to land flat on my face. And I remember fear creeping in. Um, and I was fortunate, you know, we talked about relationships right at the beginning. Mm-hmm. So yes, construction on site um, had completely stopped because we we're trying to figure out, you know, what does COVID actually mean, etc., etc. But um, most of the work that I do or I've done is quite collaborative um, and happen to have somebody in, within the network that just said, look, there's a piece of work um, within your skill set, which is procurement strategy. And I was fortunate enough to then have that cushion for about nine months of a role um, where I was working as an external consultant to a public sector organization. And that really, really, that, that was a nice soft landing. Again, built on relationships that I'd had for a long mm. time. Um, but but back to the feelings. I was petrified, absolutely mm. petrified. And and this opportunity didn't come in, in April. So my notice finished in April because you have to give it quite a long notice. Mm. But I remember thinking... Right, this is quite interesting. I've got money to last me for X amount of months. And then, oh dear, should I have really left that job? You know, you start doubting your decisions. And I was doubting my decisions so much at that point in time. And I was like, but why did you do it? Why did you leave your role? Did you leave your role because you wanted it to be comfortable? Well, to an extent, maybe. Um, Did you leave your role because, you know, you, you, this was the, the thing that you needed to do, yes. Um, did you leave your role because you were unhappy with the organization? Absolutely not. I wasn't unhappy with the organization. So when I went back and I replayed everything, I kept replaying this, by the way, for months, mm. um, just reassuring myself that, yes, you've made the right decision. Yes, you've made the right decision. Because as you said, starting a business is hard. You get the adrenaline kick and then reality kicks in. It kicks yeah. in every day. Yeah. What took you next? Because it's not you're not just in construction now. No, I'm not. So, so when I first started, it was purely about what my skill set was. And, you know, I, I mentioned earlier on about how leadership really, really resonates with me. So, again, fortunate because of relationships, I got an opportunity to start working with Cranfield University. And not engineered, nothing, <laughs> nothing I'm doing. I think it's engineered by the man upstairs. I have to get, give home a but I got an opportunity through a, a, a mutual friend who said, look, um, there's an opportunity to work with Cranfield and they are an amazing, amazing, um, um, I suppose, client to be fair. And they started, I started 
really formalizing that whole leadership practice, leadership journeys, leadership, leading self, so many different modules that are now uh, deliver with Cranfield University. And that really was, it cemented my offering of leadership consulting and more so in an industry that I love, which is construction. So it's gone full circle that, you know, I have experiential um, through my career. I've, I've had experiences in construction where I've seen good, bad, ugly leadership, but actually now um, I suppose um, cemented with knowledge and a little bit of study and everything else. I can now go back into that industry and, and be an advocate for change because I'm not just speaking from the outside looking in. I understand some of the issues, some of the problems, some of the challenges that are faced either by leaders or organizations or even right bottom up staff, you know. Yeah. So that's, that is a passion that became a practice that I offer now in, in Karis Advisory. And I remember at the time when I first started, clarity, I don't know if you, when you started your business, I had no clarity, no. right? Clarity comes over time. And I remember thinking, oh gosh, right, okay, I'm a construction advisor, okay. I do, I do procurement, I do cost management, I do project management. That's in my bag, that's what I do every day, eyes closed. Um, but I thought, let me structure it a little bit. So it's only in November last year that I said, right, I've got distinct pillars now in the organization of construction advisory, whether a developer, construction client, whatever. Very clear what that was. And then the leadership piece, the business consulting and leadership pieces, something that I that makes me jump out of bed, lit, quite literally, because it's the human element of business and focusing, yes, on construction industry, but being quite sector agnostic. And then back to those relationships that we talked about, you know, building with Cranfield and then other other collaborations and alliances that I do with other uh, consultants, That's that's been really helpful because it can get quite lonely when you're a solopreneur like myself. Um, but, you know, everything is coming together in a way that I wouldn't have engineered in any shape or form. Is the journey still young? Absolutely. Um, am I excited? Yes. Am I scared all the time? <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I mean? But yeah, it's changed. It's changed from where I started off as just as being a construction c consultant. Now I see myself as a construction advisor and a business consultant because I'm looking at it from both angles. The, I often, whenever I'm in a moment of thinking about a decision to make, mm. I think back now, my first proper boss yeah. hired me at a point where I had drug problem, mm. I had a lot of emotional problems I was going through. Mm. I have no idea how I managed to hold the job down, mm. but he took a punt on me. There you go. <clears throat> and I ended up being there for eight years, mm. worked my way through the organization, and he helped me get my first business started. There you go. And the difference good leadership can make on an individual, the oh. if it wasn't, I'm very confident mm. that if this person hadn't took a punt on me back in those days, yes. my life would have been very different. Because at that point, I was literally dragged to a YTS centre and yeah. said, like, you need to get off the streets. Yes. The, uh, your, your business is about leadership. Yes. And that when I, I can't um, empathise to a level um, to truly understand because I'm not a young woman. 
of color who went into a white male dominated industry who came from another country mm. uh, into a new country to build up so it's, I, I can't mm. but I can imagine mm. that going through the career that you have been through across all those hurdles as you alluded to there you touch on so many different parts of leadership that yes. you you would have experienced so many aspects of what makes a good leader yes. to cover so many different parts of what leadership entails mm. the um so someone what is a good leader so leadership for me is really about a good leader not so much a good good leadership practice is your behavior is the way you engage it's it's the it's i hate to use traits but qualities that you have that make other people when they speak about you they speak in a manner that shows impact. You've, you know, you've shown some impact in somebody's life. You know, whether be it at a, in a workplace environment, because leadership comes in many guises. Could be on a football mm. pitch. Could be in a hockey team. But actually, how have you? How has your practice impacted and influenced other people? I love that. I don't want to spin it around, but as you're talking, the I was asked, like, you know, what. What do you want written on your tombstone? It's one of those mm. sort of like questions. Are we going to be morbid now? <clears throat> We're going to be. <laughs> but I sit there and I just think, uh, I, I just want to, you know, he made a difference. Yes. So that's the one thing as you're talking there, is just wanting to make a difference. Yeah. Change maker. Yeah. Yeah. Just change makers. So people can talk about you and say, we talked about two people already on yeah. this table that yeah. took a punt and it pivoted. Pivoted. Yeah. Your life pivoted my, my career. Yeah. Am I life to an extent? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's just that. Can somebody talk about you or me in a manner that shows the impact positive? And equally, learnings, because it's a good leadership, we're learning both ways. In, when you're starting out, you're on your own. Mm. You're effectively leading yourself. Yes. <laughs> so you're accountable to yourself. But yes. at some point, if your business continues to grow or you choose you want to grow uh, beyond just yourself, mm. you need to become a leader. Yes. Um, that take uh, that to inspire people to follow your dream because mm -hmm. your business is your dream, and you mm -hmm. and if the people you employ don't buy into the dream of what you're trying to build, then they're not. There's no point. There's no point. There's no point. So what? Um, how can you make that transition from leading yourself to leading other people? So I think it's about knowing self first um a lot of people struggle to put the mirror in front of themselves and actually just be very clear about what they see what they yeah. feel what they acknowledge about themselves so really understanding lead yourself i mean there's, there's this wheel where i talk about lead self lead relationships in a culture so if you were to start an organization you've started your organization understanding what richard who richard is what are richard's weaknesses strengths you know what can richard bring to the table you know, where are you vulnerable? Because that's where you can build your team around you. Because yeah. actually, if you're vulnerable in that space, why would you want to put yourself and have, you know, I don't want to use the term anxiety loosely, but actually, yes, what, get people that are strong in that space so you can, that you, takes, you know, you can anchor. Um, that takes, or at least took me, longer than it should have done, I think. Bear in mind, I've been self-employed for a quarter of a century. <clears throat> the... Um, longer than perhaps it should have got mm. done to appreciate and to almost 
step back. Mm. Um, I see my role here within the business, not at the front. No. Very much like... Um, Shepherd. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It's um, a fantastic quote by Nelson Mandela. Yeah. Where he says, as a shepherd, you lead from the back because you can see your flock, you can see the weak ones and you can actually guide them. Yeah. So yes, a shepherd. The, I wasn't heading that way, but I like it. I'll take, I'll take that. <laughs> but the, it, it, it took, uh, yeah, it, for me, it took longer to appreciate, but being in that position now mm. can fully appreciate it. And I always say, I want, I want everybody here to be better than me yes. in the areas that they want to be. Uh, the reflecting on the journey you've had, mm. if you was to be stood in front of your younger self at the start, you know, at the point of either going for that interview on a punt or taking the interview and sort of traveling over, pick your time zone. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, what advice would you give yourself or what would you, if, if not advice, what would you say to yourself at the starter there that, um, you wish you'd heard at that point? I would probably say, um, I've been asked this question before. And I think it's, it's about the, the finding voice bit, because I think there was a time where I mentioned there was a bit of a wobble where I was thinking, oh, I don't really have my voice. Externalizing that to other people that I might not necessarily be in the same environment. So, my younger self was, I will solve this problem. I will mm-hmm. deal with this. But actually, just being open about some of those issues, mm-hmm. even to family members, um, it was hard for me. It was really, really hard. And, I, and I, I, as a person, anybody that knows me knows that it's very hard for me to be able to show, and this is a learning piece as a leader, to show where there's an element of, mm, I'm struggling here. Over the years, it's over the years. I'm fairly comfortable with it. I'm I'm quite comfortable to say I don't know this or whatever. But that comes, I think, with maturity and also just accepting the fact that you cannot know everything. But at the time, if I look back at my younger self, is precious. Just say, I'm feeling uncomfortable. I don't really like the environment that I'm. How do I get around this? have you ever lost your voice as a, an older person? <laughs> what did you do? You know, just yeah. reaching out. If I had, if I had reached out and been probably vulnerable at, as a twenty-three-year-old, I think that maybe some of those little conversations that were happening in my head about oh, do, do I really want to stay in this industry maybe would have been abated. Um, but you know, as a forty-five-year-old woman, I can absolutely say. Um, I don't really care now, do I? <laughs> no. no, no, same by. <laughs> But it, it, I think, uh, is that, uh, is it confidence that comes with age or is it, um, is it really don't really care now in the sense, and I don't mean don't care in not dismissive, yes, yes, but, not the, not. but in a like, comfortable space, you're not comfortable. comfortable. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, whereas a younger person, the, you, um, speaking personally, but whether you, um, younger people may feel threatened in a way to not want to show vulnerability because it could be perceived as weakness. weakness or not right for the role or you're in a you're in a position you shouldn't be in or anything along those sort of lines as opposed to as you get more mature and you actually lose worrying about those things mm. and a more mature person you think I'm going to say it 
and I don't really care what you think of me after, at the end of it. Because I'm being genuine. Because I am who I am. Yes. Yeah. Yes. I think this is twofold. So generationally, we look like we come from the same generation. There was something around power structures. Mm. So you necessarily being vulnerable, uh, for me, I'll speak for myself, being vulnerable that time, I was in a completely different environment. I'm thinking, if I become vulnerable, is that a sign of weakness that I can't actually... Uh, maybe they won't take me too seriously at work. Maybe they might say, oh, she's been quite emotional. Because that was another thing that used to happen in there. So she's quite emotional today. <laughs> and I wasn't one to show my emotions or whatever. But, he's, you know, are you okay? You know, in a very patronizing way. Um, but I think the power shift happens as you, one, become more, say, confident in what you deliver and either as a professional. And the more older you get, you become quite sure you know we start to know who yeah. you are um so i think it's two-pronged you know there was power structures that play in the workplace where you don't necessarily have feel like you have a voice because now you're going against your seniors i mean come on or you're showing up your seniors that you're not giving me a chance to talk um to um a, a generational thing where these millennials will tell you we I'm, i wasn't like that you wouldn't it's impossible you know you get penalized for for going against but also as well i think there's a shift now in in there's a shift now in the sense that actually distribution of power you know you're talking about your organization that actually allowing ourselves to be vulnerable so i'm quite intentional now that distribution of power is really important yeah. you don't have to be the power and end all of everything distribute that power because then people will then tell you the truth about what you're not necessarily seeing your blind spots. Yeah, yeah. So I think, yeah, it, there was many, many moving parts at play at that point in time. But looking back, certainly maybe using the people around me that I could be vulnerable with to actually externalize some of those conversations that were happening internally around that issue. And you mentioned you start you started your business because you wanted to choose what you wanted to do. <laughs> that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah. No, it's a very genuine reason, and there's, there's God, some things. People are like, what? <laughs> but what better reason? Yes. And the you your business has evolved. Mm -hmm. uh, two questions, really. Mm -hmm. uh, is it delivering what you wanted, uh, or is it on a journey to delivering what you want? And if that's the case, where where are you heading? It's on a journey. Because I think that it's still such a young business. Um, I'll openly say that sometimes you make decisions and you think, oh, maybe that wasn't the right one. So it's still evolving. I can see, I, I think I, the, 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 the vision or where I really want to go hasn't necessarily changed because I think there's always, there's that marriage between the people element and the organizational industry element that I think will always stay. That is definitely the foundation of my business. Um, but as you go along, you experience or you learn or you say, actually, that's not really an element that works with what I'm trying to do. So it's still it's still evolving. It's still evolving. And is your motivation or drive the same now as it was in 2019? It's a lot more now. Yeah. It's a lot more. And I think it's, it's a lot more. My motivation and drive is a lot, a lot more because I'm thinking, gosh, I've been... Um, I've been waiting for a little bit. I've been, you know, I've been in the in the deep blue sea and I haven't sunk quite yet. You know, I haven't sunk yet. So I think there's something that's good happening there. Um, so my motivation is still quite, it's, I think it's 
probably higher, but also it's people around me that are validating and saying, oh, you know, you're doing really great work or, mm. you know, I really enjoyed um, what you said or, you know, that that leadership um, delivery that you did, you know, really resonated with me. It's, it's what people say back to you, get fed mm. by those comments and feedbacks that just, yeah, that just make it more meaningful, say I'm, I'm on the right track. And what what is it tangibly that is driving that motivation? I think it's starting to see the business starting to grow. Yeah. Yeah. I think as a business owner, the God, honest truth is you want to see that there's some growth happening within within the business. And also, I think the confidence, you can be confident as a, um, a, as a businesswoman in a role in an, as employed, but actually the confidence now as an entrepreneur or businesswoman is self-employed is starting to to come out nicely and i'm starting to think actually i can call myself you know you have that little bit of am i really no i can actually call myself a business owner now yes yes (laughs) (laughs) precious it's been lovely speaking to you i thoroughly enjoyed and the to hear how you started and went into a career that just would not be expected mm. um, and are now continuing and still working within that industry sector bringing about and changing the sector is fantastic to hear so thank you for coming in and sharing your story oh thank you richard it's been an absolute pleasure absolute Good. pleasure thank you for listening to this episode of drive i hope you found it insightful and useful but before i go have a look at the app you're listening to this podcast on see that follow button give it a press and you'll be notified of all future episodes as they come out. It also helps us understand where most of our followers are and where to really be pushing this podcast to.